You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. We are currently in a series called Covered in Dust, a journey through the book of Matthew, looking at the life, ministry, and relationship that Jesus had with his disciples that would later bring the kingdom of heaven through normal, everyday people. Thanks for joining us. From January until June, we're looking at a thematic walkthrough of the book of Matthew through this lens of what does it look like to follow Jesus in every moment of every day. Uh, the thing about the disciples that they, they got to witness and they got to be part of was that they didn't just read words that were on a page, a font, a, a script that was either black or red. It was that they walked with a person. Like They got to see the mannerisms. And sociologists tell us that's a big deal because, what, 70 to 80% of communication is body language. And so they would see the way he would look at that widow. They would see the way that he would authoritatively whisper something to a storm. They would hear as he talked and responded to questions. And they understood his authority. And they were the ones that wrote these letters because they didn't just hear about it. They saw it with their own eyes. And so the passage, or rather the book as we study it, is just all about this saying that would erupt and emerge from that period of time, this blessing that was, that was said this way, that you would be covered in the dust of your rabbi, that you would follow him so closely and see every little mannerism, you would soak in everything that he did, not just the red letter words, but the body language and the mannerisms and everything in between. So what would it look like to watch him and follow him in the big moments and the small moments, in the public moments and in the secret moments? In the exciting moments and in the boring moments, what would it look like to get a 360, 25, you know, uh, 24 7, 365 uh, following of, of Jesus Christ? And so we're in this uh, segment, which is actually coming to an end here, of Matthew 5 through 7, which is entitled Following Jesus from the Inside Out. He would say it this way there are lots of religious people, then and now, lots of religious people that the outside looks clean, but I know their heart and their inside isn't really matching the outside. The thing about Christianity or religion really in general is that it has to just do with the lingo. You know what I mean? It has to do with the language. It has to do with the I'm on the inside club because I say things this way as opposed to you say things this way. You call this this, but I, I have this, this revelation, this teaching that I can, I can speak this way and I know the lingo. But sometimes, sometimes in religious circles, the dictionary gets changed and, and we just use different words to explain different things. Like we, we, we are, are doing things that don't represent the kingdom of God, but we just call it something different. And so our gossip just gets called prayer requests, you know. And um, our, our tax deduction just becomes giving. And, and so there's ways that we can, uh, I guess the old saying is church it up. There's ways that we can use the lingo and kind of walk the walk, but on the inside, we're not changing the inside. And Jesus says, I don't, I don't just want the outside. I want, I want the inside. I want you to be more righteous than the Pharisees. And I have the power not just to challenge you and not just to comfort you or just to confront you. I want to change you. I'm the only one. I'm the only one that can change you. I can change the desires of your heart, the beliefs of your heart, the hopes of your heart. I can, I can meet with you and leave you changed. You won't leave unchanged. And so that's the whole uh, premise of where we're at right now in Matthew 5 through 7. And just as a backstory of if you're just joining along with us, we've been reading these Beatitudes one by one, these blessings of Jesus that he sat down and spoke not to the behavior but to the belief levels uh, of, of the audience that he has. And here are some of the things that we've, we've walked through. So, for example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We looked at that teaching uh, for one Sunday, and we, we saw this kind of teaching that there's an invitation and a blessing for people that realize they're not enough without God, that come to realize it's not just a glitch in the matrix, it's not just a behavior malfunction, but, but there's actually something deeply spiritually inside of me that's missing without him. 
that, that you get out the puzzle box, so there's pieces missing. You know, you get out the crayon box, there's colors missing, and we look inside our heart, and it's like there's a gap, there's something missing, which, which I can choose to move on, but he says there's a blessing for people that stay there and mourn, that say I'm not enough, and my world's not enough, and I need you, and, I, and, and it looks like prayer. My day needs you, my wisdom needs you, my bank account needs you, my marriage needs you. A poor and spirit life looks like a prayer-filled life rather than a prayerless life. Matthew 5, verses 5 and 6 say, Blessed are the meek. This is what we spoke about last week. Blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. He's saying, he's saying and blessed are these people that recognize that, 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 that control is futile and that, that the, the, the angst and the anxiety and the push to be, to be bright and shiny, the push to be the loudest in the group, the push to vindicate your name and, and, and promote your reputation and, and defend yourself within this small segment of time window called now is futile. And, and, and meekness is actually the thing that inherits the earth, that, that, that finds needs met and finds emptiness filled. Just a trusting in God that in his time, and I give him space, that in time, although evil may prevail for a time, it will expire in a season. And God will always uplift uh, those that are meek and, and, and inherit the earth to them. And then today we are looking at blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, and blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And my prayer is this morning, Jesus, that... Um, that any amount of, um, any amount of doubt uh, that we would have that says, you know, because of my past, because of my biblical understanding, because of my disposition, because of my anxiety, because of my depression, that any number of barriers or doubts or lies or disbeliefs would be replaced in faith right now. I thank you for a childlike spirit uh, that is willing to unlearn things in our heart at the deepest places that we might learn things we thought we knew. And so unlearn us, unteach us, that you might teach us again um, in your kingdom, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I am not much of a crier, I've figured out, uh, from the ages of 1 to 35. I wish that I was. Uh, I wish that I would, you know, have emotion and connect to commercials at Hallmark Christmas times. I don't. I wish that I do, and I see people that do, and I wish I do, and I couldn't always have said that. I think at a younger age or maybe at a prior season, it wasn't as cool to be, you know, connected to your feelings as a guy or whatever, but I wish that I would cry more, and I've tried to cry more, but I, I just can't. I don't know what's wrong. I mean, I need to go counseling more. Some of you guys are criers. I envy you. I think that crying is a wonderful ministry that God gives us, and he genuinely says that as we cry, we actually draw near to him, and we become close to him. Um, but uh, I, I just, I don't, uh, for whatever reason. And, and it's funny, I'll add to this as well. One of the things that's weird about me is that I don't actually cry at sad things. I tend to, if I do cry, which my son said, he's only seen me cry maybe like twice a year uh, on big occasions, I suppose, or really sad movies. But, um, but I, I don't actually cry at sad things. I don't know if you guys have this kind of disposition like me, but I actually cry at happy things. So it's like, it's weird. I don't cry when the dog runs away. I, I cry when the dog comes home which is so weird. Why do I, I don't know why I do that. Or like when Mufasa dies in the middle of Lion King, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it from 1994, I actually don't cry at the death of Mufasa. I actually tend to cry when Simba reaches his pinnacle at Pride Rock. Is that weird? Anybody with me on that? Like I cry at the happy ending around the setting. It's just kind of a weird thing. But I think as I, as I grow older, I think that I, the thing that I've started to realize, maybe realize this too, is that I think what I'm crying at, what I'm emotional about, what I get moved by is I get, I get emotional not just by sad things, but by mercy that that shows itself. 
Like, mercy can, can really make you cry. I don't know if you're with me on this, but something about goodness happening when it shouldn't happen gets me upset inside. I don't know why. Like, it shouldn't have happened. It was a good thing. It should have, there was a broken person, and a good thing happened. The broken person didn't do anything for the good thing to happen, and the good thing happens. It's not Harvard kid that goes to law school, right? It's like LeBron James is ready to, ready to like, this is a true story, drop out of elementary school, and his football coach, he's like, 60 days out of fourth grade, he's just going to become another statistic. He's out at 6 in the morning. He's playing Sega Genesis in the streetlights and hanging out with his kids, with his friends, and he's not going to school. And his football coach sees something and says, I want you to join this team. And so his teacher allows him to make all this work. And so he and his mom, I do believe this is mercy, and this is the way that justice maybe looks like mercy, but they sat and divided the fourth grade homework. So the mom did half of the fourth grade homework, and LeBron James did the other half of the fourth grade. True story. And now he's like one of the richest athletes. Mercy is when my, my friend, Ronnie, his mom passed away uh, this last week. And we knew Ronnie from, from a long time through a ministry call, called The Ark, a special needs ministry called The Ark. And, and his mom passed away this last week. And, and, I, and I catch his story, and Ronnie was completely abandoned when he, he was a young child. He was completely abandoned. He was just left somewhere. And his story is like some others who the mercy of God meets through the church. He was, he was brought in, and, and he obviously the government, there's mercy in the government, and the government was able to give him care and welfare, and he had housing and these sorts of things. And so he gets a call. This is now he's never met his mom. He gets a call 25 or 30 years later. His mom calls him. She's sick in the hospital, and she wants to see him. And Ronnie not only goes to meet the mom, but, but listen, forgives his mom and leads his mom to Jesus she passes away. This is the mercy of God. This is the topic we're talking about. She passes away, and Ronnie uses his Dave and Buster's savings to pay for her funeral, and the church pays for the food. We just went to it Saturday. The mercy of God moves us because it should move us. Things shouldn't be good, but they are good. Things should be broken. They shouldn't be beautiful, but mercy should move us. Mercy moves us because it's, it's God showing himself in the world. It's God revealing himself. I believe just a little taste and a piece of what God is all about in a world that wonders what God is and wonders where God is. This is our opportunity to see a glimpse. These are a couple of pictures that I want to show us this morning that maybe you've seen stuff like this before that reminds us of what mercy is. So, so this is a guy that I just read about online over the week. This is a guy who works at IHOP, and he lives a normal everyday life. He works 40 hours a week, and he works hard just like all of us and gets good tips and bad tips. And and, and has found this, this beautiful place, like has gotten this window, this opportunity of a gift that he realizes this couple that comes every year on their anniversary, like isn't able to, to feed themselves. And so every year, he, he, it's his joy, the interview says, it's his joy to wait on this table and like feed them their anniversary meal every day because mercy, mercy is invading his heart because mercy is reversing the story of mercy is changing the narrative. Let's go to the next picture. This is another picture, just people, just people doing ordinary life in and outside of the kingdom of God. This guy uh, is from the Philippines, and so he is actually a well-renowned guy in New York that can cut all these famous people's hair, but he spends his time on the weekends going to the Philippines and in New York City, like cutting hair for homeless people. And I want you guys to see what mercy looks like. Oh, this one here is a picture actually in the Philippines before we go to the ones in, in Brooklyn and New York and these things. This is actually kids that live in, they're orphans, they live in a cemetery. 
They don't have any mercy in their life. They don't have what we have. They don't have access to, to, to education. They don't have access to water. And this guy is like, what kind of a world and in what kind of a paradigm does goodness break in in this way to go into, to go into a cemetery to offer haircuts to young boys? The next one. Look at how, look at how handsome that he makes these, these guys look. Look at the dignity restored in a world where people say, where is God and who is God? And, and, and there's this moment where you can see some of these glimpses in and outside of church. And you go, if, I don't know if there is a God. I don't know if I believe in God. But if there is a God, my heart leaps and yearns for God to be like that. This is what mercy does and shows to us. This is what, this, mercy can make you look like Brad Pitt, apparently. I need this guy to cut my hair. I mean, genuinely makes this guy look fantastic. Let's get another, another story here. So this is a picture of, of, a, of a guy on Facebook that I found over the week. It's like, the, the mom, the single mom's like trying to do, you know, go back to school and like had a rough start and wants to get her family started. And so she's going to school and she doesn't have a babysitter. And so she had to bring the baby the one time and she's like devastated because the baby's crying. And the physics professor and the science guy who has everything in boxes and rows stops the lecture, like picks the baby up and, and continues the teaching as he holds the baby. I don't know if you've been or been a part of a moment like that where good things didn't have to happen, but they did. Good things shouldn't have happened, but they did. And this is the note that I wrote for myself to, to kind of verbalize my point here, but like, I, I think it's mercy that moves us. I think that it's mercy that moves us to tears sometimes because mercy is good things happening when they shouldn't or good things happening when they couldn't. And so mercy doesn't just speak of the circumstance, but to some divine meaning, something deeper that moves us and shouts all at once that God is real, that God is good, and that God is still working in this world. And to every atheist who has an argument about bad things happening to good people, every Christian kingdom-centered person should stand and continue to herald things like this, that yes, bad things happen to good people, but good things are happening and breaking through into bad situations all of the time because God is not done working yet. That God is real, that God is good, and that God is working. He is not done working yet. And mercy is having its work in us. This is the way that James would explain what we are experiencing humanly in a, in a, in a theological way. In verse uh, James chapter 1, I believe, yeah, verse 27, it says that religion, if you want to understand God's dictionary for religion, it's not a bumper sticker. It's, it has nothing to do with your lingo. God's version of religion, this is what it's going to look like. This is the fruit on the tree of good religion. This is what it should be, is that good religion... True religion, God the Father religion, is pure and faithless when it, looks like, when it looks like the poor receiving what they shouldn't. When it looks like mercy has met a person in need. When orphans and widows are fed, that's a snapshot. That's the picture of what God looks like for people that don't have the Bible yet. That's the picture. That's him prophesying to the world, this is what heaven's like though you can't understand it yet with your, with your earthly eyes. This is the way that Victor Hugo says it. In the end of Les Mes, you might have heard this, this phrase. I think it's very powerful to help us wrap things up in this thought. But to love another person, he says, to love another person is to witness the face of God. For a glimpse, this is why we're moved. For a glimpse, this is why we, we are moved and in, in, in emotional. is because our heart longs for a home that it hasn't seen yet. And it reminds us, this is the, one of the greatest apologetic arguments that C.S. Lewis makes, is that if, if there's no God, then how do we yearn for something more? Unless we were created for something more, how do we know something's unjust unless we know there's a ruler that 
declares it unjust. There's a divine revelation. And Romans 1 says that the seen things reveal the unseen things in our hearts, whether we're in the kingdom or out, testify to the fact that the world is not just, but it should be. And that the world shouldn't have mercy, but it does. And in so doing, when we see that window, we are witnessing the very face of God. We are witnessing pure religion in the Father's hand without interruption. So our verse today is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they are seeing God. They will see God. And two different Greek words that we'll look at this morning. I'd love to repeat with me the word elias. Everybody say elias. Elias is the word for mercy here. The word mercy, as you've heard me talk about it, is way bigger than just letting people off their parking tickets. The word mercy is happening all the time, or the lack thereof. The word mercy is just meaning compassion in action. The word elias, it means moved by compassion. It means not stopping at the thought of compassion, or the beauty of compassion, or the moving emotionalism of compassion, but being moved and activated by compassion. Compassion moves you off the couch. And so Elias isn't complete just in the Bible study. Mercy, mercy starts when the Bible study ends. Mercy is when it gets us off the couch. Mercy is when needs are met. Mercy is when you, um, the one out of ten times, decide as that needy person comes towards you on the street with the sign and, and asks you for something. Mercy, mercy resists the, the judgmental viewpoint of justice without that says there isn't enough and I've got to def defend and protect mine and I need to maintain this kind of what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. And it succumbs to this bigger, more powerful narrative that says, well, what's mine is actually God's, and what's, what was given to me was given to me for free, and so I give what was given to me for free away. This is what happens when we have an encounter with mercy, when we're, when we're getting screamed at in public for no reason. Just some guy is at Publix, and he is just, I don't know where he learned language like that. I don't even know language that he's saying to me right now. And instead of retribution, what should be eye for an eye, what should be that's not fair, what should be you should stop where you are, somehow turns into compassion. And you see that person not as an angry person, but as a hurt person. And you're all of a sudden moved to this other value. Jesus says, I, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is this thing that, that what faith should look like on display is mercy. It's, it, is, it is love compelling us into something bigger. And the second word I want you to repeat after me is called kathairos. Everybody say kathairos. That's an interesting name, too. But we talked about this in John chapter 15. It's actually the same word that's used to talk about pruning. Uh, it's a cleansing. It is a um, purifying, as Matthew 5 talks about, blessed are the pure in spirit. Kathiros is not just cleanliness, uh, but it's the fullness of righteousness. It's not just that you're clean, but that you are whole and integrated. And so... You could be a bar of soap, for example, and be completely clean, but kathiros is more than that because kathiros is being clean without additive. There are some soaps that are clean, all soaps are clean, but they have a certain additive to them, a scent, a smell, something that your wife picked up from Bed Bath & Beyond or something like that, or maybe you did. You know, these are these kind of like, it's soap and it cleans you, but it's not pure. It doesn't meet this pure factor because pure is not just that is it clean, pure means is it completely whole. Is it singular? 
Scriptures say that David was single-hearted. There's many people the Scriptures would contrast that are, that are multi, you know, they're, they're disintegrated. They are multi-hearted or divided in heart is what the Scriptures say about Saul. But David was single-hearted. He was pure. He, he, was, he was uninterrupted from his heart into his hands. He was pure-hearted. So there's a difference between cleanliness and pure-heartedness. Or maybe in our culture, the way that we would talk about it is wholeheartedness. One-heartedness, there's a difference. Because you can be clean and double-hearted. If you were an evangelist or a missionary, for example, some of us know or are related to evangelists or pastors or missionaries, and they're clean. I mean, their record is clean, and they haven't cheated on anybody, and they speak well of other people, and they honor people, and they lead many people to the kingdom of God, and they love and bless people, but they have left their family behind, and their kids don't know who they are. That person is clean, but lacks a purity lacks a single-hearted and integrated, wholehearted story. A person that serves their heart out, serves their guts out, maybe, some of us in this room, in the teaching classroom, and work hard on the EQ and come early and stay late, but as they go home, they don't really love the kids as much as they just tolerate the kids, and somehow along the line, they've lost their passion, and so their heart is divided. It's not a single-heartedness, and so Kathiros is the command, or Kathiros is the invitation to be pure-hearted, not just clean, but whole-hearted. And so, if we were to put these two things together, we would have something significant, something pure. I think we could have two separate things. Like I wrote down, for example, sometimes our journey for mercy, we forsake simple pure-heartedness because in our journey for mercy, we can lose our uh, pure motives for mercy. We can love the idea of mercy. We can love the feeling that we get when we, when we practice mercy. We can practice mercy because it's a good witness. We can practice mercy because it teaches our kids. We can practice mercy because it gets us deductions on tax credits. There's, there's different ways and means, but if we were to put the two words together, mercy and purity, and purity and mercy, pure mercy, pure religion, as James would talk about it, this is maybe how we'd reinterpret or rephrase, rather, the, the blessing of the day. This is what Matthew 5 might tell us. Blessed are those who give without strings, is the way that I wrote it. Blessed are those who give without strings. They're not like the used car salesman. They're not having an extra agenda. They don't have strings attached. They're not trying to use love as a means to an end. They just give to give. They just give to give. They, they, they've, they've discovered that in giving, you actually get more, that givers are getters, and giving to give is the point. Getting, giving to get something back or to facilitate something or protect something or to get a reputation with others or with God, that's not the point or the purpose as the blessing is read uh, uh, purely. It's saying, blessed are those who give without strings. Why? Because they are learning that giving is a self, a gift. Giving is a gift itself. So this is the way that Jesus talks about the combination of these two blessings together. He says in Matthew 6, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. He says, if you do this, you will have no reward for your Father in heaven. It's funny to me how even people that claim they don't believe in God, they're running from God, they, they're mad at God, can go to you know, a soup kitchen or they can witness stories like this on their Instagram feed and still be moved. And they'll use this phrase. They'll use this phrase. You've probably heard it before. Both people in and outside of church and kingdom and all that kind of thing. They'll use this phrase, it's like, I went there and I was so surprised because I was so rewarded by the experience. And you just sort of think, well, who, who's rewarding you? Where's the reward coming from? 
Like even, even when it is that with our mouth we're, we're trying to distance ourselves with God, it seems like God is still right there. And there's a reward. There's, there is a reward. There's a reward that happens when we, when we draw near. And so verse 2, it says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. It's actually the word there, hypocrite, is, is super branded now, right? Like it's, it's got a negative connotation. Hypocrite is kind of like just, just calling somebody, it's one of the worst things you could call somebody. A hypocrite is like an awful insult. Back then, it actually just had a normal everyday connotation. It just meant an actor. It was a type of person. It was a person that had a job that would act out, you know, a play or act out a poem or they would live out under the spotlight and do a performance and everybody would watch them and he, they would have these trumpets in the middle of town and they would put on a show and everybody would watch it like the way we would gather at a movie or something like that or watch something on YouTube. And, and so he's saying, he's not saying like, don't be a bad guy with a dirty, you know, a black heart, but he's just saying, don't be an actor. Don't be in the spotlight. Don't, don't make a big commotion about your faith or about your mercy. And so he's saying, because if you do, you're just going to get your reward then and you're not going to get the fullest joy of this reward. And he says in verse 15, Truly I tell you, you have received their, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's a propensity Jesus is speaking to here that he knows that when the light is brightest, when there's the most amount of people around, when the stakes are the greatest, when our reputation is at stake, and when we know people are watching, when we're leading, when we're a teacher, when we're up front, there's this propensity that accountability and affirmation can actually cause and stimulate mercy. It can actually cause me to do goodwill and do good things. And some of that might be good. Some of that might be, say, I want to do my goodwill so that to do good things that I've been created in advance to do so that God would glorify my Father in heaven. And some of that is part of gospel. But what he's saying is that the spotlight, although it's assumed in human terms that if I have more Twitter followers, the spotlight's greater, he's actually saying the exact opposite. That it's not the moments when all eyes are on us, when the reputation is at stake when we're accountable and affirmed for the mercy that we show and that we practice, that the spotlight is the greatest. He actually is saying, when you get into your car to drive to work and you close the door and you drive from here down to the place that you work for 30 minutes, that is actually the space that the spotlight is greatest on you. When you're at home and no one else is around, you don't have any reason motivation or any, any cause to love anybody else but yourself. He says, those moments are precious. That's where heaven is moved. That's where God is moved, and that's where the reward is. These moments of unaccountable, unaffirmed mercy. He says, gosh, that's close to heaven. Gosh, that's the tip of my tongue. That's where heaven, that's just right there. If you wanted to reach out, you could almost grab it, because that's where secret mercy is happening. This is the, the pure place, the sweet place, where we're giving is actually happening. And so some of you guys know I, I got bamboozled at Aldi a couple years ago, found a, a waffle maker. Changed my whole life. Aldi will do that. They got a, line, they got a whole aisle in there that's just selling you stuff you didn't know. You didn't. I, was, I didn't know I needed that. And you just put it in the cart. And I got a waffle maker, which, of course, led to better and better waffle batter. And that led from, you know, Good old-fashioned Hungry Jack. I don't do any of that anymore. I do pure maple syrup from, like, Connecticut. I can't even pronounce what kind of maple syrup this is. The difference, there's a difference between Hungry Jack syrup 
and maple syrup. This is my youth group illustration for the day. Is that there's a purity and mercy that's sweet to God's heart when it is that we're in secret. This is the pure, sweet thing of the Lord. And so this is the way that I, I surmise it. I said, Jesus teaches us that it's the secret moments that are the spotlight moments, precious to God and priceless in reward. Uh, priceless in reward. Secret moments are the stages set for pure mercy. When you are praying for somebody and you never tell them, and the only person that knows about is the Lord. God sees and there's a mercy, there's a reward there that we experience that heaven advances to us faster than, than us getting there. There's a, there's a thin place where heaven breaks in when we give when no one else is watching. When, when the temptation to gossip about somebody else and we know we'd never get caught because we're talking to a close friend and it would never get out and the close friend would understand and empathize and, and there's, a, there's a decision to be made there and Jesus says, of all the people that put offerings in the offering basket, that lady that gave with just two pennies had greater faith than the millionaire that wrote the big check because she did what she did in secret and from a pure heart. And he's saying the exact same thing to us when we're in our kitchen and we have the opportunity to speak viciously about somebody else and we choose not to. He says, that's a precious place that I, that I cherish in your life. There's a place to give cash into, into mailboxes and you've experienced this before that somehow as we give, we always get outgiven. And sometimes one minus one doesn't equal zero. One minus one equals two or more. Because there's a surplus of something more than money, time, dollars, and cents. There's something bigger that he's doing in your life. And when you give, you realize you're the recipient of the gift. As you offer mercy, you realize you experience more mercy than you would have if you didn't. There's a place when, you, when you're at the family picnic and you go and talk to the niece or the nephew who just so desperately needs guidance and mercy in their life. And they're, they're awkward and ornery and tough to talk to but they need your, your wisdom, your counsel, your love, your acceptance so much, and you're altering the kingdom of heaven, and no one would ever know about it because it's so secret. He says, that's where the spotlight of heaven rests. That is where the spotlight of heaven, that's what he watches more than any other thing. What if, what if the paradigm of the way that you looked at your life, when, if you started to actually, like I believe this passage is telling us, started to look at your private moments, the secret, spontaneous, quiet moments when no one else is around, what if those moments actually impact future more than the public moments do? What if your influence of your family and your neighborhoods and, and, and your communities and your small groups, what if it's the things that you're doing when no one else around is actually influencing the world around you in heaven above you more than any of these other things that you do for the rest of your day-to-day -day life? He says it's the secret moments, it's the secret place moments that alter things that have the greater reward. So I actually have two intentional questions this morning, um, and then we'll close. But the first intentional question is the typical one. Hopefully, as we go through these passages, you've found a moleskin journal or something that uh, sparks joy, as the Japanese lady says on Netflix, something that sparks joy in your life and a nice journal with a cool cover, and you've been writing this because writing is processing, and processing is about changing the way that you think, and we don't think about the smartest things. Oftentimes, we just think about the easiest things, and he, he, he wants to redirect the pathways in our, in our mind. And sometimes that takes writing things out. And so maybe you journal this, maybe you talk to somebody about it, maybe you'd process this thing out loud, but not skip the step of processing and letting the, 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 the scripture speak to you. Where has God shown you mercy and where might God supply mercy through you? 
that you would maybe catch a vision, a reminder of where you were and where God brought you, and that would give you a vision that would get you off of the couch, that would get you into uh, what pure religion is, that would actually put our faith, what it is that we're talking about right, right now, even matter. Maybe that would happen as we would get a picture to reflect on of how God has shown us mercy might move us more than just a text, uh, uh, you know, the scripture that we read with our mind, not our heart. And then maybe we would catch a vision of just a small act of kindness, a, a supply of mercy that uh, my friend, uh, my, my pastor of my friend of mine, his name is Steve Keyes, one time he said, never resist a generous impulse. And maybe it's not 10 things that you ought to do, but one thing that you want to do. And there's a mercy moment that, that you'll miss, a secret moment that you'll miss, a sweet, pure moment with God in the secret place to give where the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. What would that be? And what would it do to you if you wrote it down in your journal? And so that leads me to the second question of this, of course, is don't even tell your left hand that you're even asking your right hand this question, but maybe ask the right hand the question, wait till it goes to sleep, and then talk to the left hand about the question, wait till it goes to sleep, but certainly don't talk to anybody else about it. But where is there a generous impulse that you can respond to today? Where is somewhere that you can pray for somebody? Somewhere that you can bring um, coffee, hope, a compliment to people, um, remembering on um, Valentine's Day that they lost someone that they loved. Remembering on Father's Day that they lost somebody that they loved. Calling them, doing things unsolicited, without strings, without agenda, without a catch-22. Giving things to give, giving things to give. And I wonder if this passage, I wonder if we would find it to be true, because I think we all know that it's true. That when it is that we, we get over ourselves and get over the, the fear that God will not provide, that one minus one is always zero, that there's a scarcity and there's not enough and i got to keep what I've got so, so somebody else can't take it. If we get past that, maybe there's a party that we're missing. Maybe there's mercy that we can enjoy because we've been motivated and moved by mercy. Maybe our faith put into action can actually come to pass and the talking becomes doing and our heart becomes thoughts and our thoughts become plans and our plans become action. Maybe our religion becomes pure this week because we responded to a small gesture of mercy. There are sweet moments not to miss. There are sweet moments God has already prepared in advance. Good works for us to do. Some of them that some will witness and many of them that no one will witness. But these are the sweet moments with God that we can never get back. What is God asking you? What is he stirring you and nudging you to do to give in a generous impulse? I want to invite us to stand. The band will come forward. And uh, we've been just sharing the gospel at the close of every message. And I forgot my gospel proclamation slide, so I'll have to recite it from memory. But I just want to say this. I don't know if you're new here, but this specifically um, is, uh, is, is for all of us, actually. It's just that the gospel is something that um, we, we never want to stray from. We always want to remember. And the thing about church and, and uh, wonderful scriptures like this is that they, they, they give us a better vision for life and they help to project, to, to project a, a better future for us. But without the gospel, it's just talk. And without the gospel, we can't. Um, have the future that he puts before us. And so some of the scripture today is just saying, this is the future that I have that we can have together, that I will walk with you together with. And so the gospel is simply this. It's the power of the resurrected Jesus that when he died as a historical figure, died, buried, and he rose again, that he, he did so so that, um, so that we could move from spiritual death spiritual life, not spiritual problems into solutions or spiritual not as good to a little bit better, but spiritual death, spiritual cancer, spiritual no heartbeat into spiritual life. And the Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our lips, by faith, 
expressing a need for eternal life because we can't get there on our own, the Bible says we will be saved by that utterance of faith and the, and the immediate meeting of love and grace. And so I want you to bow your head and close your eyes to me. And so we're going to go wherever we are to that place, to the cross. Wherever you are, I want you to see um, the picture of Jesus. And his body language to you is, is that he's smiling at you, that he cares, that he loves you. And so wherever, uh, wherever you are, just pray this with me. Jesus, I need you um, to make broken places beautiful. Um, I... I have a spiritual death in my life that you are turning into life, and that is a miraculous transaction, not a man-centered, wisdom-centered transaction. So thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit. As I breathe in, just your Holy Spirit reminds me that you are inside of me, and you are turning dark things into light and dead things into life because of the power of your resurrected Son. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We at City Lights are so grateful to have worshiped with you today. We are a church that exists to be followers of Jesus who are devoted to building family, blessing neighborhoods, and bringing good news to the nations. For more information on our church, visit our website at www.citylights.cc and give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook. We hope you can join us again soon.